0: Today's Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 15, verses one through six. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state the Azar of Damascus and Abram said you have given me no children so a servant in my household will be my heir then the word of the Lord came to him this man will not be your heir but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir He took him outside and said look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Beloved of the Lord, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our reading this morning from the New Testament is from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Today is Reformation Sunday, 31st of October. On this day, Five hundred and four years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses about the nature of the gospel to the church door of Wittenberg. This was not a new teaching but a fresh discovery of the gospel message itself that God gives us life, eternal life, and he gives it as a free gift. An important emphasis of the Reformation is the priesthood of the saints. That as believers, that's what's meant by saints, as believers, all of us, we are called to serve God, to be ministers of His Word. God calls us all, in the first place, to be His children. To live with him and for him. He calls us also to be servants of this life-giving message, the gospel. Being called by God should not feel to us like a burden. It is an honor and a privilege. Serving him, sharing his gospel with others is not in the first place something we do for God. It is actually a blessing God gives us. And that's why Paul often calls his missionary work to the Gentiles a charis, a grace. It's a grace, it's a gift from God. Paul says in Romans 1, at the beginning of this important letter, we have received grace, that is, the apostleship. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. And at the end of the same letter in chapter 15 he says, The grace God gave me to be a minister in the priestly service of the gospel. This is the grace that God gave me to be a minister of his gospel. It is an honor and a privilege to proclaim the gospel. When we think of the Reformation, that is the first thing we should remember. That we are once again given the privilege, each one of us, not just trained, highly trained theologians, uh, not just special people, but all of us as children of God are given this privilege to work with God in this world, to proclaim his gospel. The letter to the Romans is Paul's most important letter. In this letter, he gives the clearest presentation of the gospel that he preached. Paul starts the main part of this letter with the words we read just now. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's an emotional declaration of his passion for the gospel. It's not some theological or philosophical statement. There's a sense of excitement in these words, but also a challenge to the world, a shout of defiance. Whatever you may say, I stand by the gospel. In spite of my experience of suffering, of humiliation, even imprisonment, I don't care about all the shame. I am proud Of this gospel that I have been called to preach. I am not ashamed of the gospel. In Romans 1 verse 16 and 17. The two verses we've read just now. Paul introduces the basis of our new life in Christ. The foundation of our ministry as his children. And it also became the call to arms of the reformation. In short... Justification by faith. That's what this is all about. Justification by faith. And we are so familiar with this formulation, but what does it really mean? Often it's as if it's become a slogan, uh, something we all know, but we don't really, we're not so aware what it actually means. So this morning, let us unpack the rich content of these two verses and look at each of the four aspects. That Paul highlights for us here. The gospel. The righteousness of God. Faith. And life. In the first place, the gospel. God's power to save. What is the gospel? According to Romans 1 verse 2 to 4, right at the start of this letter, Paul tells us the gospel is simply the message of Jesus. Jesus promised in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the message about the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, who died for us and was raised by God to reign in power. Why is this message, this gospel, so special? Paul tells us here, because it has power. The message of the gospel, God's word, has the power to transform lives. When we were uh, working in Singapore, we had a student coming from Beijing in China, and he shared his testimony with us. He came from a very high-up communist family. Both his parents were in the People's Liberation Army, very high up. Never in his life did he have any contact with the gospel or with uh, Christians. And he came home from class at the university one evening and he heard people singing and he went into this place where christians were gathering and singing hymns together and he sat right behind because he didn't want anybody to even notice him he sat there and he just observed he listened to the singing he listened to the reading of the word the explanation It was a very simple gathering of Christians. And he came out of that building that night, a Christian. It's impossible, nearly impossible for us to believe something like that. But that is the power of the gospel. That when one hears it fresh and clear for the first time, it has the power to transform a life. We visited him in Beijing, both uh, myself and also Johanna. And both of us, various times, he took us to that building and he showed us, I sat in this chair when God spoke to me. The power of the gospel to transform life. The gospel has the power to make us new, to give us a fresh start. Not just once, but every day of our lives. The gospel saves us, it revives us, it gives us fresh hope, it renews our courage. In spite of our weakness, we can stand up for the Lord, because he gives us the strength to overcome obstacles, to triumph over evil. This is the power that he gives into our hands, the power that he calls us to wield. And this is our most precious gift for serving the Lord, his word. Not our own abilities or all we've studied or learned or experienced in life. Just the word of God. In spite of our weakness, we are servants of the powerful word of God. We are weak, but our message has the power to change lives, to change the world. The gospel message is the power that saves. The gospel, the word of God is the power source of our life and our ministry. The second aspect Paul mentions here is the righteousness of God. And that is the basis of our salvation, of our new life. What is righteousness? The Western concept of righteousness is displaced, displayed on many court buildings. We see the goddess Justitia. She stands there with... Uh, Scales in one hand, a sword in the other hand, and blindfolded. Because like that, an impartial decision on right and wrong can be given. But the righteousness of God is different, completely different. The God of the Old Testament has open eyes. He's not blindfolded. He sees and he takes sides. In Exodus 3, we read, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cry on account of their slave drivers. I have noticed their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Our God chooses sides. He stands on the side of the weak, the suffering, the rejected. He even stands on the side of the lost of sinners. God's righteousness is no justice. How can it be just that the innocent should be punished and the guilty go free? But that is God's justice. Jesus suffered so that we could be set free. The righteousness of God in the Old Testament is therefore often seen in parallel to his salvation. Righteousness is just another way to talk about salvation. God does not serve an abstract concept of right and wrong. He does not want to judge, but to save. He does not pronounce on right and wrong, but he saves those who have wronged him. Because he is faithful to his relationship with us. His righteousness is connected to his faithfulness and his enduring love more than to his holiness and his judgment. God created us, and he remains true to us, even though we so often fail him, disappoint him. He stands by his promises, and he does all he can to restore his relationship to us. The gospel reveals his righteousness because it shows us how God sacrificed everything to bring us back to himself, to restore the relationship with us. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. And in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even withhold his son, his own son, but gave him up for all of us. The righteousness of God is the firm foundation of our salvation. God is faithful. God is for us. God reaches out to us. With God on our side, who can stand against us? What do we still need to fear? The third important aspect of this passage is faith. Faith. And that is the way of our salvation. What the NIV translates as by faith from first to last is, is actually in the original Greek from faith to faith. From faith to faith. It's such a strange concept, that's why it's translated in a more understandable way uh, by faith from first to last. But actually, it's important to go back to the original because the word faith, pistis, in Greek has two different meanings. It can mean Faithfulness, and it can also mean faith. And the expression from faith to faith, from pistis to pistis, actually plays upon these two meanings. From faith as faithfulness to faith as commitment, as believing. From faith, starting out from God's faithfulness. He takes the initiative. He loved us first. He fulfilled his promises. He sent us his son. And he restored the relationship with us. The basis of our faith is God's action in Christ Jesus. In his death on the cross, in his resurrection, we see God's pestis, God's faithfulness. We can have faith in God only because He has shown His faithfulness. He has proven Himself to be dependable. We can rely on Him and trust Him. Our faith is always a response to what God has already done. But it is a necessary response. From faith, God's faithfulness, to faith. To faith as our commitment, our faith commitment to Him. He has proven himself to be dependable. So we learn to trust him with our lives. This faith is not just an intellectual assent that with the head, that we agree that it is true. It is a total commitment with all of our hearts. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified. And one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. No one who believes in him will be put to shame. Romans 10. From faith to faith indicates the way we are saved. Standing on the truth of the gospel, God's faithful and unchanging love, we have been transferred from darkness to light, and we respond. With all our hearts by entrusting our life to Him. Our commitment to Him makes us servants of His gospel. Eager to lead others to faith, to a similar faith commitment to Him. We have faith in God. And we want people around us also to experience the faithfulness of our God. So they too can trust Him with their lives. And then finally... The fourth aspect, life. And that is the goal of our salvation. To underline and support this explanation of the gospel, Paul quotes from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. And there are two ways to read this sentence. We can read faith together with righteous. The righteous by faith shall live. Or together with live. The righteous shall live by faith. And both of these are very true. The righteous by faith shall obtain life. That answers the question, how can we become righteous? How can we be justified? How can we be restored to a life with God? By faith. And the other possibility, the righteous shall live by faith, is just as important. Because this answers the question, how are we to live now that we have been restored to a life in God's presence? And the answer, again, is by faith. By trusting Him for our every need, day by day. With these words, Paul summarizes, the goal of our salvation. Whichever way we translate the sentence, it is about gaining life. To be united to God by faith will bring life to us. Faith in God ensures eternal life. Those justified by faith shall have life. But now already, as people restored to God, we live each day by faith. Our daily life is a life of faith and trust in God. Those who have been justified shall live by their faith. What we have received is life. What we share with others, what we tell them about, is the renewed life that God has given us. That He continues to give us anew every day. And that he promises to give us to the end of our days. And then, eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that Martin Luther and the other reformers rediscovered. This is the message of hope, of joy, of life. This is the message that the people around us, people all over the world, desperately need to hear. This is a message that we can proclaim boldly and proudly. With Paul, we can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son our Lord Jesus, into this world to bring us life through his death. We thank you that our Lord Jesus has been resurrected and now lives with us day by day, accompanies us. We thank you that by your faithfulness we have been restored and that we can live this new life you've given us by faith every day, Walking with you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus name. Amen.